0: Greetings, everyone. This is Pax At Luke's Conversations with Leaders. I am Daniel Robb, and I'm here with my co-host, Dave Chinquanko. And today we're delighted to have Andres Valenciano with us. Andres Valenciano is the Minister of Foreign Trade of Costa Rica. He's responsible for Costa Rican foreign trade policies and attraction of foreign investment, as well as a representation to several multilateral organizations such as the WTO and the OECD. Andres is a graduate of the Fletcher School. With a Master's in International Business. Andy, welcome to the podcast.
1: No, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you both. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you, Andy.
0: So as I was preparing for our discussion today, I read that Costa Rica's core values are people, planet, and prosperity. And I'd like to start off with prosperity first. So congratulations on your entrance into the OECD. And can you tell us what this means for Costa Rica?
1: Thank you. It's definitely a milestone for our country. As, as you know, Costa Rica has been following a particular development path in the sense that uh, we're a country that has no army. Um, we have uh, been able to use those resources and channel them to education um, and health and social security, meaning that at the end of the day, we have previous leaders in Costa Rica have understood that what we have to offer to the world is, is our people. Um, So investing in people has translated into having um, high levels of education. uh, And obviously that has put us on a a development path that that has to keep running on our investing in people. Now this milestone of the OECD, what it basically sends a message uh, to to our partners around the world saying that we are very committed on, on trying to achieve Uh, standards um, that are are, are very high level. What do I mean by that? Is that uh, everything that has to do with public policy and the way that our institutions are ran in the country, uh, we are committed on on, on moving forward and making sure we are up to OECD standards, which basically means uh, some of the most um, uh, very uh, critical and obviously, that are shared with a lot of like-minded countries around the world in terms of what is the type of, of, of institutions, what values around democracy, around uh, uh, human rights, obviously, environmental standards that we want to chase. So for us, it's just our, our, our commitment of a very long run of, of of making sure that people in Costa Rica are able to, uh, to live healthy and, and prosperous lives.
0: That's excellent. And- and in shifting gears here to COVID-19, um, the pandemic hit Latin America especially hard, um, but Costa Rica fared a lot better than its neighbors. Can you tell us what Costa Rica did differently?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a great question because every country is facing crisis in different ways, right? Uh, and that's just a reflection of um, some structural issues. For example, in Costa Rica, we've been, uh, investing like i said in, in in health and social security for for many many years so we were able to to cope really well in terms of of having low mortality rates around the pandemic but at the same time if you look for example at issues around uh, we before the pandemic even we had high levels of informality informality in the in the job market meaning that um on one end, people didn't have necessarily social security. So when the pandemic hit and, and, and there was a, a big crisis around uh, around jobs, uh, there were vulnerable people. And that's a reflection of some of the structural issues in whole Latin America. And Costa Rica is not the exception. As, as any country, we're also facing challenges. One, I just mentioned, but also how, how we're able to bounce back on some industries that Costa Rica is very dependent on. For example, tourism, uh, in, which obviously has been... Uh, widely hit, so so definitely challenges. But I think that the idea of 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 Costa Rica building an institutional framework that is able to provide social security and support, um, and 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 making sure that uh, those that are most vulnerable uh, receive more support from from the government has been a priority for 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 quite few decades now. So that may make us uh, stand on, on firm ground. And the other thing, and this is very exceptional of Costa Rica, what I'm about to mention is that Costa Rica back in the 80s, it was very interesting that Costa Rica recognized that as a small open economy, a small economy, we needed to open ourselves to the world. We needed to connect to global markets. So we made a shift to make sure that our development model was very export driven. So we started signing free trade agreements. We opened the world, connected companies with global value chains, and that allows us today to have a very, very diversified uh, export strategy, meaning we send over 4,000 different products to 130 countries around the world. And that allowed us to close 2020, which was the year that was mostly hit by the pandemic with positive numbers in terms of our exports. If you look at those numbers around wow. the world, many countries yeah, and regions uh, weren't able to, 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 to close the year with, with positive numbers. And, and that means, that because Costa Rica has such a diversified ma- matrix of products and services and destinations, we were able to, to keep our, our, our exports on positive numbers. And obviously that's one of the engines of economic growth and it provides jobs and, 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 and linkages with other, with other sectors. So uh, it, it's, uh, I'm mentioning those examples to see how on, on some ends we were, we were ready, uh, we were able to cope with it, we had some resilience Especially, like I said, in the export sector, but on, on other issues, we definitely challenges like every country around the world.
0: Yeah, it's great to see that uh, Costa Rica is opening up too. And and from the U.S. side, uh, Secretary Blinken visited uh, not too long ago, and that was his first uh, first visit to Latin America. And uh, he chose San Jose first. So uh, definitely,
1: it sends it's also sends a, a big signal about how they see the role of Costa Rica in Central America. I was able to. To meet with secretary blinken uh, and, and discuss some of the uh, challenges and opportunities that they were seeing around Central America and how uh, like-minded we are with with um, President Biden's administration we shared some of the of the our priorities for Costa Rica uh, moving forward and and we were able to to also uh, discuss how we can we can be an ally in terms of, of some of the structural challenges that Central America has been facing for for quite a few years now, so it was a very productive meeting. Uh, couple weeks after that, I also had a conversation with uh, USDR Thai, U.S. Trade Representative Thai, Ambassador Thai, and at the same, it was a very productive meeting. Um, we we reaffirmed our commitment on making sure that trade ends up working for the people, and that's that's very that's very important. Coming myself, not from a from a background in necessarily in trade, but more in poverty reduction and education. Um, there was a lot of common ground with Ambassador Time understanding how trade needs to help us drive a vision of development that puts people uh, and the planet, like you mentioned uh, Dan, at the beginning of the conversation at the center of the agenda. And, and I believe we have a lot of work to do in that regard.
2: That's wonderful. You know, you mentioned, um, of course, tourism, you know, for decades, Costa Rica has been known to be a wonderful tourist destination, known to value the preservation of land and natural habitat. People who visit Costa Rica return saying pura vida, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Hotels and businesses typically do not bulldoze to coastal land areas and build out. It seems businesses work with and along the topography. So where did this value system originate and how was it nurtured within Costa Rica?
1: well it's not it wasn't a single event uh, it was a um, a, a number of of, of of people and ideas that um, early on like I said when back in the the start of our of our 20th century Costa Rica made um, even a little bit before that made education uh, mandatory and free for everyone uh, back in the 1930s made huge huge advancement in terms of social security again making Healthcare available and free for everyone. Um, then, back at the end of the 1940s, abolished the army, uh, and that just the first wave of these reforms, saying, "Well, we 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 understand that we can have." Um, our own vision of development that is based on on, on investing on the people because uh, we don't have other natural resources. We don't have oil or gas or or any other of the traditional commodities that are found in many countries in Latin America. We don't have any of those. And then what what you mentioned about nature and and tourism, it was very interesting because at some point Costa Rica was, was having actually deforestation. And then we quickly realized that well, a lot of people were coming to Costa Rica precisely to see nature uh, and conservation could actually be a key to that. And what we did, and this is very interesting, for decades, Costa Rica has been a country which has actually reversed deforestation and now has reforested a lot of areas, and it actually pays to do so, not only because of of. Of of schemes and financial schemes because that have been c- come up with in in which people and, and 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 companies are paid to preserve the land, but also because uh, tourism, obviously one of our big drivers. People wanna 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 have not only uh, traditional tourist experience of going to the beach uh, and to the mountains and to the volcano, but now more and more ecotourism or rural tourism, where people wanna uh, see how how uh, preservation can also drive economic development and do it in a way that it's uh, like the discussion now is happening around the world. How can we have economic growth and sustainability and not or sustainability, right? So, so I think that has been part of the path that we have been following. It actually has paid off quite well.
2: It really has, um, definitely, definitely so. And we really wanted to hear about that and highlight that because it's such a great example of the investment first and foremost from the very beginning, right? Um, Even before all the sustainability conversation, of course, that's always been a conversation, but now it's a critical conversation everywhere. Yeah. Um, Now, further to Costa Rica's good standing in tourism, um, international consumer confidence progressed and a healthy level of expatriates residing and staying in Costa Rica. I am actually not um, aware. Are are um, non residents or you know um, you know expatriates are they able to invest in Costa Rica?
1: Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. They are definitely. And now, actually, at at, the, at Congress uh, our uh, Asamblea Legislativa, which is like Congress, uh, there was a, a a recent bill that passed to actually attract um, investment investors. Um, People who are um, who already retired and they want to come to Costa Rica to facilitate that. So yeah, it's it's a very um, welcoming scheme for people who want to invest in that sense. Uh, not only for companies, obviously we have our our, f- our free trade zones which attract a lot of the biggest multinational corporations, but also we have other investments and again, I think our, 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 our main attracting, uh, attracting factor is the Pura Vida factor that you mentioned, which a lot of people uh, might be familiar with it or not, but it's, it's hard to describe because it's, you actually have to be here and see how, how people just welcome you. And exactly, I believe you've been here. So, so, so you can relate to the Pura Vida saying, and a lot of people are attracted to, to that type way of life that they want to live, right?
2: right right no i i have uh, i had friends in college um who you know visited costa rica and you know they come back and uh, they have a certain uh, energy and uh, you know and they're like oh i you know and then they of course they would say pura vida and, you know and it's interesting cuz when when you know whenever they would say this to me it's almost like it, it would translate. And then I'm like, what is it about the place? And they're like, you just need to go. <laughs> you know? exactly, and and exactly. of course my family, uh, I mentioned to you when we first mm-hmm. met um, my family, you know, we were like, we really want to try and do this because also there's alignment in the time zones. Um, so if you're trying to work remotely, it definitely works, right? Um, there's Absolutely. very, there's no adjustment really um, for the t- central time zones in the US. Um, Another, so,
1: I'll oh, go and ahead. You well, no, just one point, point on that when you're saying about uh, the time zones and working remotely, well, this issue of digital nomads has has definitely exploded. You have, yep. you have to see it to believe it, but a lot of, you go to any beach town in Costa Rica and you find people from all around the world, they're saying, well, if I had to work from home, I can actually work from a beach uh, in Costa Rica uh, and, and find the, 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 the conditions to be able to do so. So it's, it's, it's very appropriate for, for people who are looking also for a, the different type of lifestyle. Like I mentioned, more and more, obviously there's the traditional tourism, there's the ecotourism, but now it's we're very well positioned in the country in the health and wellness uh, tourism. A lot of people come because they want to have a different change in mindset, so they're doing retreats, yoga retreats, well-being retreats, um, that that have been driving a lot of the uh, a lot of tourism in different parts of the country. So yeah, it's 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 very attracting for people who were looking for that Puravid lifestyle.
2: So Costa Rica has got it right um, commercially, environmentally um they have you know you you've fostered and invested in a in an environment that you know is healthy really to kind of prevent that sort of you know um uh unwanted uh you know um mm disease, really, it's it's a social disease do, to permeate, right? Um, it is natural to synthesize. And you also mentioned earlier that the education plays a significant role in these positive outcomes, right? So how has Costa Rica, the government and the public invested in education? And then on top of that, Andy, I know that you have um, a lot of focus on education for girls and women. Um, so if you can tell us a little bit more about that, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, well, like I said, historically, Costa Rica has had very, very high levels of, of, of investment in, in education. Um, and that has that played a big role in, in describing what Costa Rica is today. Now we're facing the challenge that for the past couple of decades, I would say, that education investment has not necessarily paid off as well as it did before. So that's, again, that... History and, and, and social issues as this—it's it's not necessarily white or, or black. It's obviously usually around some gray tones, and in that sense, you can find a lot of of, of investment that Costa Rica has done in making sure that education is free or and, and available for everyone. Um, and you find a school in Costa Rica—you can walk around any part of our country, throw a rock, and then it will probably land on a school, right? So it's it's very. And there's a lot of access to it. But again, uh, uh, the world has changed a lot. Uh, well, you are very aware of that. Um, uh, we feel it every day when we're on uh, each of our jobs, how technology is driving disruption, how we're more connected, how how the, the rhythm of change is faster. And that has uh, not necessarily translated in how our educational system has responded to it. That's a big challenge ahead. The OECD, for example, and that process has highlighted some of the flaws, some of the challenges that we have in terms of making sure that that investment in education actually translates to learning and to learning um, the the skills, not only that kids need now, but also uh, the type of thinking that is going to be needed for the challenges uh, in the future. And and one big thing that we have been aware of, and we're, we're actually making a lot of policy changes is driving, uh, uh, reducing the gender gaps in terms of of, of education. And that's very interesting in Costa Rica, because if you see uh, uh, the data, you'll find that women are more educated than men. Women in Costa Rica graduate more from high school. They graduate more from uh, um, uh, college. But when you start looking at, well, what type of career paths are they taking? What type of, of areas of study are they undertaking? Then you'll see that even though women, like I said, graduate more from high school or from college, uh, if you look at areas which are on very high demand, what are those? Well, uh, the so-called STEM areas, right? Science, technology, engineering, math, you'll see that disproportionately men graduate way more than women on those, on those areas. And as Costa Rica as a whole, is moving towards a knowledge economy. Meaning, for example, that the services sector uh, plays a bigger role in our economy. A lot of companies from the IT and the services sector are, are, are growing in the country. Then you'll see that the data reflects that women, because of, uh, of that gap in terms of what type of careers and, and uh, studies are they undertaking, um, you'll see that women are less employed. Uh, And we do have a challenge in terms of closing the gap of employment in terms of of women. And that goes back to what we call the pipeline, right? Making sure that we bring down the barriers that are preventing women from entering those careers. And and those are social barriers, um, cultural, um, that we need to work as a society, showing examples that women can thrive for, making sure that they have a fair uh, uh, opportunities just as men have to, to go into any career path, we have to foster that because there's still some structural issues that are, are preventing women to going into those areas.
2: Absolutely, I think in emerging markets in general, there's that cultural, um, there's definitely a cultural factor uh, with gender gap um, and skills uh, development. Um, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, so um we are curious about you, Andy. So um Dan, please. <laughs>
0: sure. So um whenever uh, so you have an engineering background. Mm-hmm. And uh when I think of engineers, I think that they they lead with their head and and folks that are in international development lead with their heart. Can mm-hmm. you help us understand how um an engineer finds his way to to international development?
1: Yeah, thanks. I I, I get that question uh, quite often, right? Because uh, most of my friends, as you mentioned, when, when they graduated from uh, as industrial engineers, they ended up in manufacturing plants and and doing uh, logistics or quality assurance stuff like that. And and I never. It was actually at the end of my uh, my of my studies when I was almost about to graduate from as an engineer. I realized that I all the career paths that were presented to me, I didn't feel that that was what I wanted to do. So actually, I. I took, um, this might, uh, might sound uh, uh, very, I don't know, like taken from any, any book, right? But I, I took a trip um, and, and then I spent some time in South Africa uh, for, for quite a few months there. Uh, and that was a really eye-opening experience. I, I volunteered to work at an informal settlement. They, they, they call them townships in, in South Africa. One is called Masipumelele. And being there for a while, I I had this uh, this moment of, of clarity and saying, like, I'm, uh, I'm sure that my path forward is working with the people, uh, trying to understand what are the drivers of some of the issues that I was seeing there, uh, that they were present in my country, obviously, but maybe uh, in a more dramatic way where I was there in South Africa and saying, like, well, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work to try to Uh, first and foremost, understand really what I want to do, but it has to do with working with people. Uh, Now, you say like international development, at that moment, I had no idea what that even meant. So I wasn't sure where my path was going to take me, but I said, I don't see myself working at a plant um, with some sort of manufacturing job, but I see myself working with people. And that that was a a very, a very moving um, moment for me. And then that's what I did. I went back, I graduated, but even before graduating, I started volunteering with some local organizations, grassroots organizations who were working on some informal settlements here in Costa Rica, uh, trying to to, to learn more and and, and see what would be the best use of my time and and my energy. And and, and that that was what kickstarted me on that path.
2: Oh, that's wonderful.
1: Yeah. Volunteer
2: work. It does. It's kind of like you're doing it voluntarily. So there's already that Linkage there. Um, and it's it's nice when there's an opportunity to, to nurture that. Um, so, uh, you know, in your work in international development, uh, you worked on microfinance projects, social housing, community development, not just in Costa Rica, but also in Nicaragua, Colombia, South Africa, as you mentioned, Nepal and Bhutan. What did those projects entail um, you know, process-wise and also from you, Andy, like personally, right? Because we do recognize this as like, you know, it's a labor of love, right? <laughs> and dedication and really caring. Um, yeah, curious about that.
1: Absolutely, so when I, when I, like I mentioned, when I went back to Costa Rica and I came back and I started working as a volunteer, then I started working with an international organization uh, called Habitat for Humanity, obviously. It's well known in the U.S. and abroad. Um, they, I, I worked on their regional office for Latin America and the Caribbean. So I got to work with a lot of different offices. At that moment, there were 14 offices throughout all the region. Every country uh, from Habitat for Humanity's perspective has, has a different challenge when it comes to housing. Some, some countries require building more houses, just like Guatemala needs more houses. In Mexico, actually, there was a lot of uh, housing microfinance projects because people were actually, what they needed was some sort of finance mechanism so they could do uh, an improvement on their already owned houses. Uh, In other countries like Brazil, a lot of the discussion was around land tenure, Um, understanding uh, housing rights and what people who live in, in favelas, for example, as called in Brazil, how they need um, um, housing rights to make sure that uh, a and, and legal tenure to, to, to make ownership of their own land and stuff like that. So it was for me, again, a very eye-opening experiences of the different challenges that people, the, the different challenges, some are very alike that people face around the world when trying to trying to live a, a life, like I said, with meaning and purpose that everyone at the end of the day is, is trying to find and, and how there are a lot of structural challenges uh, Everything from uh, local issues to more national issues and and have to do with uh, macroeconomics and fiscal policy and and monetary policy that end up affecting people's lives on a day-to-day basis. So by having an engineering background, I try to to work on on process improvement and how to how to how to bring that perspective and how to how NGOs are run, which was very interesting for me working with a lot of people who had backgrounds in sociology and anthropology and, um, and political science, but uh, me with an engineering background, trying to to see how to improve management in terms of, 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 a, of, a, of an NGO that at the end of the day has to be well-ran, right? So interestingly enough, when I, uh, when I was doing, I was promoting a lot of volunteering because obviously for me, it was a very eye-opening experience. And at that moment in my life, I thought, volunteering is going to save the world. That, that, that's the key. If more people volunteer, they'll find their paths, they'll transform the world. And then actually that led me, that question about what, what can be done on a different scale, not only on grassroots level, was what took me to Fletcher. And then I remember very, one of the very first classes that I took around development, international development, my whole idea of volunteering saving the world was taken down in the first two hours. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I just had a mind shift, a change of mind in, in like two hours for the past three years. Uh, it was really, really eye-opening because um, it allowed me to to, to take classes, uh, as as you both know, in terms of, of of macroeconomics and in terms of 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 other structural issues and public policy that at the end end up shaping what happens also on the local level. So it was really interesting because now I could bring this experience of having been able to learn from the people um, and see and hear and and actually walk with the people. Uh, um, And those are great teachers. Uh, The same as I could tell you of great teachers that I had at Fletcher, great mentors. I had great mentors that I've been able to, to meet who are facing extremely hard conditions and they're able to thrive in those and, and obviously that grassroots experience uh shaped uh, has shaped my my life through, through how I, I understand how uh, being in a position um, uh, leading an, an ngo or, or 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 a ministry of or, or, a, or an international organization has to take into account all the knowledge all the local knowledge and the local reality that ends up uh, shaping a lot but yeah that, that shift in terms of of, of thinking that volunteering was going to save the world to having it brought down in a couple of hours at a class at fletcher was was really eye opening
0: what, uh, what course was that
1: that was an international development class uh, uh, international it was international development and actually it was focused a lot on aid on international aid it was It was done by a couple of professors one was the dean at the moment uh, peter yuvin um, who, uh, who who was very very um, one was one of the, the professors that I had a very good relationship with with uh, throughout my my two years there uh, it was uh, and then professor Rob it was there were two teachers at the class and both of them were really were really um, very critical in, in a good way but very very critical of, of some of the work that I was doing uh, previously and and then I ended up uh, recognizing that uh, yeah um, I, I wasn't I wasn't saving the world the way I was thinking I was doing right <laughs>
2: Well. Yeah, I've taken a a new course also uh, at Fletcher, of course, the Emerging Markets Policy class. And, uh, you know, much like what you're saying, there's a mind shift there that happens (laughs) with uh, just, you know, policy proposals and just how to problem solve and whatnot. And, um, you know, what's what's encouraging, of course, is like, you know, when when you get taken down like that, you kind of, you know, then they build you up. And they go, yeah. well, let's think about how to do this, like, you know, effectively exactly. and clear, exactly. you know, clearly Andy, you're doing a fantastic job and um, you know, you, you seem to um, still love it, uh, which is uh, great um, it, all around. Um, and you mentioned some mentors as well and uh, you know, Dan and I were curious, uh, Dan, did you want to uh, jump in on that?
0: Yeah, sure. I was, I was curious. Uh, who's been your most important mentor? Over the past few years, or your whole career, really, and why?
1: Uh, well, I've had a, obviously a lot of people that I have had a big influence in me, and, and I can go all the way back to to see to, to 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 at least try to explain how my mom has shaped my 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 view on life and what I believe is right and wrong, which is at the end some of the. Foundational aspects, but on a professional level, obviously, I've, I've met a lot of people who has uh, who have, on one way or another, inspired me, and and that's, I will say, both the living and the dead. And um, what do I mean by that? I mean, obviously, you have people who 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 you get to meet, your paths cross with them. Um, what some point in your life are very influential and then they might continue to be so for the rest of your life or, or maybe it was just this moment, right? When, uh, like I mentioned, Professor yuven and Professor Wilkinson on that class, they were really critical and they really helped me shape my views on on, on how development works and the really big and complex questions that get asked every day. Um, and there are others like uh, P- Professor John Hammock, again, uh, I think I, I've mentioned this th- when we when we first spoke, but Professor John Hamlet at 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 Fletcher, he's no longer there. He's now at, at Oxford, but he was he was and continues to be um, what I could consider a good friend of mine. Now uh, I, he's he he became a good friend, but he was he was my thesis advisor. He was the one who who actually got me asking a lot of questions about. Um, you know the type of life that I want to live and how how to better pursue that like really deep uh, philosophical questions he was really influential in that in that moment of, when I was at graduate school which is a, obviously a, a pivotal moment in life when you're trying to see where, where you're going to take it next and what is it that you want to do for 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 the once you once you graduate so he he continues to be a really close friend and, and, and someone who has who has who I've worked closely with and then here in Costa Rica there are uh, a lot of people who i've i continue to work with really closely who've been friends uh and 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 then i mentioned the dead people uh i find a lot of inspiration from from books i think as as carl sagan used to say that it's 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 a, it's, a ma- it's magic books because you have a conversation with someone who passed away uh, a thousand years ago and and you get to 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 really dive into what he or she was thinking and uh, help you in life and and then you realize that some of the questions that you're asking a lot of people have asked them before right and they they come up with their own answers and then you, you put a little bit of I think at the end of the day you, you pick a little bit of what you believe um, fits into 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 your own um, uh, way of, of, of thinking and try to obviously Forge, forge your own path, but realize that at the end we're the sum of a lot of conversations, we're the sum of a lot of books, a lot of mentors, and a lot of people. And, and, and being and keeping that open mind um, puts you on that um, on that lifelong learning approach. Uh, and become being a student for life, recognizing that even as you become older, it doesn't mean that that, um, that openness to, to, to having someone to, to, to ask those questions and look forward to, to being. Criticize and challenge. It has to be a a, a mindset for, for 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 the rest of your life, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, somebody once told me that uh, the importance of virtual mentors. And they said, pick five people in history and then read everything about them, and they can be your board of advisors, like you said. Uh, learning about those conversations. Is there a, a book or a historical figure that? You tend to study the most, or or turn to in tough times.
1: Uh, that's a great question. Well, I've, I was, I still continue to be drawn to to a lot of philosophers of the past. Um, the Stoics, I, I I find really interesting, um, especially Seneca. I, I do like it a lot. And, and I got into them, actually, with, with the existentialists. Um, uh, I, many years ago, I read, the first book I read from one of them was Albert Camus' book about uh, the myth of Sisyphus. Which is, it's a very book, it's, it's a very dense book. It, it starts off with a question about uh, the reasons that a man has uh, has or has not to kill himself, right? So it's a very deep question about, about uh, existence and what it means, uh, uh, and what does... How does life presents its challenges and being absurd if you think about it and how do you overcome that? And, and, and that book uh, obviously uh, had a, had a big, big impact on me. And from there on, I, I started reading other existentialists uh, uh, um, that are more recent than the Stoics. But uh, I think uh, it's, it's a mix of books uh, that have really shaped uh, my, my outlook. Like I said, I, I, I think the, the classics are classics because they have stood the, tender, the test of time, right? And that says a lot about literature. A lot of recent books haven't gone through that trial and, and, and to be able to, 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 for people to go back to those books, for example, when I was when I was really young, uh, uh, really young, when I was a teen, a book that really shaped my outlook of life. It's Hibiran Khalil's book, The Prophet. Uh, my mother's side of the family is from Lebanon and he's a Lebanese author. Uh, I was given that book, The Prophet, when I was 14 years old, and I read it and I find it, found it fascinating, but I couldn't understand like half of it, what it really meant. And it's one, it's one of those books when you can go back uh, on every stage of life and then find different meanings on, of it, um, even though um, it's, like I said, it's, it might not be a, a deep uh, philosophical work of, 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 of art, but it's really, really engaging and really asks some questions in a very poetic way that I find it uh, really, really interesting. So, so yeah, the, the, those are the type of books, the classics that you that could actually go back to. But I would say intellectually, for example, a book that really changed my my understanding of development. If you if if you want to focus on that, uh, I, when I read um, "Development as Freedom" by Amartya Sen, which is a it's almost a classic now in terms of of, of in international development, you had a very big uh, impact on me. Same as uh, uh, the books by Dr. Paul Farmer, who uh, I used to read him a lot. Um, and that led me to to eventually I got to meet him and I got to have really interesting conversations with him. Wow. About, yeah, it was it was really moving for me having been read someone and actually you know, being very influenced by his vision around uh, about in that case health as a human right uh, and and how um, how many societies have not come to terms with that with understanding health as a human right and, 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 and the recognition of that and then actually meeting someone it's on um, some ways it was it was really really motivating for me to to to. To see that at the end you know obviously we're all people and we have all flaws but, but there are some people out there that really that really break the mold and really uh, make a difference and, and and you pick the best of them and you try to to, to take that into your own uh, path right yeah exactly
2: absolutely yeah absolutely and, and
0: along the same lines uh, you mentioned being a lifelong learner uh, and you definitely fit that definition, and and Day and I are also mid career uh, in a graduate program, uh, so I would consider us in that circle as well. Yeah. Um, you're doing a fellowship at uh, Lee Kuan Yew. uh Can you can you tell us a little bit about that, and in uh, your mindset about going back to school again?
1: Yeah, that no, that's that that's part of that that mindset that you just described that you both have in the sense that I realized that it was a great opportunity for me to to being in public office, right? Uh, 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 Being able to to follow this program and and, then I got awarded awarded the fellowship uh, to study on on, on Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. I just recently uh, graduated from the program. Uh, It was a fascinating experience. Uh, First and foremost, I I wanted to have an understanding of how people from other parts of the world are seeing and understanding uh, development and that's very very eye opening. I mean, um, when you look at how um, most of my classmates were from different parts of, of Southeast Asia uh, and Asia in general, uh, and, and, and me coming from Costa Rica, obviously uh, there's 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 a lot of having worked, having had the possibility of worked with around the world and many countries in all. It's still really interesting to have conversations on what we understand are. Are, are the drivers behind development, the role of democracy? Is, is, the, is the definition of something like democracy the same all around the world? Obviously not. Um, even the cha- even questioning and challenging, is, is it uh, a democratic state uh, the only way of moving forward? I mean, those big questions um, we were, I was able to discuss with my classmates, but then um, a lot of it was focused on, on, on public policy and, and leadership within uh, government institutions. So it was exactly what, I, what, I, what I'm doing right now. So having the opportunity of discussing that with some of the people who actually worked with Lee Kuan Yew in creating Singapore uh, as it is today. Many of the, of we were able to have classes with people who, who, who were proactively working with Lee Kuan Yew, uh, creating the institutions that make Singapore what it is today it was really, really eye-opening. It was uh, it was a fantastic experience. And again, just taking uh, every now and then, just taking two steps back uh, to think, to, to have an, uh, an open view around the world, get new information. Uh, and obviously, it always uh, not only has a direct impact on the way that you see your own work, but those, those moments of clarity also help with uh, having that that lifelong learning mindset is not only of growing professionally, right? You're, we are, uh, as I mentioned, we are a work in progress as human beings. And we have to constantly, constantly evaluate what is it that we value? What is it that we want? What is it that we appreciate? What is it that we want to dedicate our time to, our energy? Because sometimes when you're, when, when one is younger, you, you're, you're 18 and you think, okay, now I know who I am. And now I know what I want. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> I and we all by, laugh, <laughs> and then we all laugh exactly because that's the only appropriate answer to that. When an eighteen-year-old says that he already knows what he wants and what he knows who he are, who he is, or who she is, right? So, um, uh, but but even you know, uh, being a little bit older, we are a work in progress, and we have to. It, it's 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 a very tough question of of, of 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 really trying to see what what is the purpose of of your life, right? It's it's not an easy answer. A lot of people uh, probably don't have many opportunities to ask themselves that. Having the opportunity to ask that question is in and of itself a privilege. Being able to say, yes. you know what, I can, I have the, the, the opportunity to 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 reevaluate and to actually uh, ask myself, is this the life that I want to pursue? And if not, what can I do to change it? And uh, you know a lot of the questions, philosophical questions get driven because of wrong answers, wrong questions either, because some people say, well, what is the meaning of life? And that's not a good question because you have many different answers. At the end, you have to answer, what is the meaning of your life? And then you have to come up with the answer. And that's not an easy job because society in general is driving you to probably come up with answers that are, are values, that are you know, from someone else or preferences from someone else and not your own. So, uh, like I said, this opportunity of having this fellowship is not only obviously intellectually and in in terms of academics and professional, really, really valuable, but it also allowed to take a couple of steps back and and, and recalibrate on on a more personal level who is that that you are. And and obviously, I took the, the, the best out of that. Yeah, I love that.
2: Yeah, that is fantastic because I mean, it's like you went what you're saying, Andy, and you know, in our leadership development class, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of "but why," and you know, um, and you know, like you said, it's a philosophical question. It's almost like we're at this this super fast pace where you're almost like not allowed to ask that question, you know. And and really, it's such an important question because it is what drives everything that you're doing and i mean not you all of us right um, and you know it's it's great to have mentors it's great to have books that continue to ask that question to us cons- consistently as we iterate as you know human beings as we grow and you know that's the goal right is to continue to grow till we till we pass right um, and then, you know, on that note, Andy, you know, talking about leadership, you, you are an avid reader. Um, you've had all that intake of knowledge. And thanks for sharing those book recommendations. We're definitely going to check them out. Um, upon your reflections. Right. How would you define an inspirational leader?
1: That's a great question. Well, at the end uh Leadership is 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 allowing for for others to to grow uh, uh, and, and and being a being a, a bridge or some people call it being a gardener, right? Uh, in the sense that at the end, you have to to be able to obviously uh, gather uh, gather people around a, a vision and a common goal and work towards it. But more than that, I would say the process the process is the product in the sense that. Um, it do ma- it do matters how how you reach that goal. I believe so. That that I, that is something that I believe. So it, it, it has to do within that process, allowing people to feel that they are contributing, allowing people that there is purpose in what they do, allowing people to 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 fail uh, and and not be shunned by it, allowing people to 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 work together and, and around a common cause and. And, and that would be the the, the best definition of, of of leadership. People who I've worked um, under, who who I believe uh, have been great leaders, are the ones that have actually allowed my potential to grow. That's when I yeah. look back and I say, well, that definitely was a position in what in where I was pushed in a way that I was challenged in an exciting way. It doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean it was fun all the time, right? Uh, because <laughs> right. there's there's that old saying that says if, if if you find if you find a job that you like, you're never gonna have to work one day in your life, and that's not true because at the yes. end of the day, it's gonna be stressful. It's gonna be hard, but but because you have meaning, it makes sense, right? Um, and that's mm-hmm. very existential. That's very niche At the end of the day, when he said, right, that, like right. life is suffering, and then you have to find meaning in order to survive, right? So. If you're able to nurture a place, uh, whether that's a a team, a small team, whether that's the whole company, whether that's that's an international organization, whatever it is, in which people can feel they're valued, that their work has purpose, that they can uh, uh, grow both intellectually and professionally. Uh, I think that is uh, a very, it's not just achieving a goal and achieving a metric and a KPI, which is obviously is important, but it also has to do with the way you do it. And I think leadership has to do with, with, with creating that environment and allowing people to, to grow their potential in that way.
2: I really love the, the symbolism of gardening there because you're right, it, it's in under the right... Um, environment and nurturing. Um, and yes, it, growth requires, you know, some some pain. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not comfortable all the time, right? Um, but, you know, I think the outcomes just come about, right? Um, it just will naturally come um, in the right conditions and the right, you know, spirit and the right intent. Um, oh, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's I, wonderful.
1: I think- uh, the, there, there's a saying, I think it's actually from, from, the first time I heard it, it was it was from from Cubans. Um, in Spanish, they say, well, you know what? And they say it for kids. Uh, they say, kids need rigor y afecto, rigor y afecto, which is kids need discipline and love, discipline and love. And, it, and it's a right balance around those two. And I think the, the issue of discipline, it's important because when when i was describing this nurturing environment i didn't I, I don't want it to sound that it's that it's like i said everyone do does whatever they want and and it's and it's a, and it's a right. party every day no no it's it's <laughs> it's, it's very right. rigorous it's discipline it's 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 you have to make sure that uh, people deliver but but you can do that um i've seen it on and off that you can do that in an environment that is also you know positive and it's it allows people to grow and it doesn't have to be all um, an environment that actually delivers goals, but at the end it crushes the human spirit in the process of doing so. I don't believe it has to do uh, uh, one or the other. I think you can actually have a nurturing environment and actually be very, very rigorous, very disciplined and, and 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 get the best out of people. Right? Yeah, no, I, I, uh...
2: You know, I, in terms of the really children, I, I taught in an after-school program um, when I thought I wanted to be a, a teacher many, many moons ago. Amongst the other uh, slew of other jobs I was thinking about, <laughs> professions and calling, whatnot. But um, you're right about the discipline, because um, you know, when I was around those kids, uh, you, they will resist, you know, that discipline. But it's actually in understanding what that discipline is about right? Trying to get them to be better, right? Um, um, Coming from the right place, they start to feel that accountability and how important that accountability is. And, you know, and it will, you know, in the beginning, of course, and as always, they'll resist it. But, you know, but then once it's instilled, and they start to understand what it's about, um, you know, then the appreciation is there the attachment is there, you know, as far as like, um, looking up, you know, in terms of leadership, looking up to, to um, someone else to to lead the way or teach. And eventually, like you said, also giving the room for growth. Um, no, th- that's wonderful. And and I'm glad that you pointed that out as well, because yeah, for sure, it takes work.
1: <laughs> it takes a lot of work and discipline. Yes. But it's also, I think people need to need to feel that, that you care as a leader that you genuinely care about them right and, and that's very easy to i mean that's very too easy to read yes you can't fake that you either really can people will see through every uh, after a couple of hours or a couple of interactions people will see if they if you really care about them about their work about the, what is it that the mission of the of the company or the organization you have to care um and then obviously you need to to be able to deliver and that has to do with not only uh, caring about what you do, but being able to have the the competency, the skills to be able to to deliver and to lead among complex and challenging times. Uh, um, It's a a mix of those things, I would say, right?
2: Sure, especially navigating uncertainty um, and a constant change, which, you know, uh, that is a constant, you know, things are always changing. Um, You know, in many ways, even like you said, with education, you know, the investment was placed in there, but then now it's a, it's a retooling. It's a re, you know, understanding again, the new landscape and what's needed out there. And, um, but yeah, um, no, these are great insights, you know, because, um, you know, leadership is, is serving at the end of the day. It's, you know, it's not about you. (laughs) It's not about me. It's, you know, if you want to lead, it's, it's actually, um, it's a huge responsibility it's a huge accountability and, um,
1: and yeah I'm, I'm really glad that you used that phrase uh, that, that you have to under, understand that it's that it's not about you right it's very um, it's uh, I don't know if there are any uh, Marvel fans out there but uh, if you've seen the movie yes. Doctor, Doctor Strange yes <laughs> <laughs> Strange I would say that's the best conversation for the whole Marvel universe it's when he's talking with the ancient one and, and then she, she turns to him and she says, yeah, that, that you know what? Your desire to grow and to be the best and, and just it has, has made you a, a great doctor, but it's precisely the reason that have, has actually um, um, not allowed you to to, be an, an, to really thrive and to really grow past that because you haven't understood that it's sometimes it's not about you, right? And especially when you think about working in an organization working around a cause because sometimes a, a vision or a cause is a purpose is way bigger than the organization itself. For example, especially in public, in public office, you are here to serve and I am here to serve and, and I'm, I'm not an end in and of itself. And, 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 and the, the organization is there for a purpose to serve other people, right? To help other people thrive, even from something like um, people might be asking, "Well, but you work at the at the Minister of Foreign Trade." That's the same thing. Trade, at the end of the day, has to work for the people. It has to allow people to thrive, to grow. So when we're there, uh, we have to uh, constantly ask ourselves, "Well, we're here to serve. What does that mean? What does that mean, and how we how we uh, comes raise great responsibility of serving in public office and 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 and." and uh, not only the confidence, but the responsibility that gets deposited in one when, when one assumes a role such as as, as, the, as the Minister of Foreign Trade um, and recognizing that one is there to serve, is it's, it's critical. And I really appreciate that you mentioned that because I think that's at the core of, of understanding that it's there not to serve one, but actually one has to serve the people, right?
2: Yeah, thanks, Andy. Now, with all the the heavy lifting that you do, <laughs> What do you do to um, to recharge? You know, um, you've got wonderful landscape, of course, Costa Rica. But uh, do, do you like to take walks? Uh, I know you have dogs. Um, what uh, what do you enjoy?
1: That, that's that's a great question because uh, earlier in my right after I graduated from Fletcher, actually, I had a moment when I was I was working an NGO that was going through this very complex process. Uh, we were restructuring it. We had some. When I got there, I was basically. I got there as a SWAT in the sense that the organization was going through a very challenging financial uh, situation. Um, it involved a complete overhaul, a complete restructuring. I went so, so deep into work that at one point I raised my head and I realized uh, everything that I value besides work, I've actually not taken care of it. I had stopped exercising. I had stopped reading for pleasure my relationship with my partner at that moment uh with uh, my friends with my family I had put it on the sidelines and I was like I was yeah sort of like burned out in the sense that I I didn't take care of myself Uh, and so I already learned that lesson the hard way saying that I have already been there I've done what I've said And, and then after that uh because it takes a toll it takes a toll physically emotionally, uh, mentally. And a lot of people can relate to that because in one way or another, a society especially drives us to that break of almost of no point of no return. But I, 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 at that point, I realized that I needed um, uh, to, to balance things out. And, and, and that doesn't mean that everything has to be in balance all the time, right? That's, that's it's important clarification. Sometimes it's okay that things are off balance because you have to focus and you have to drive the extra mile. And that means, yes, I have to dedicate this time, priority, prioritize. But from then on, I realized, for example, that exercise is definitely uh, a grounding experience for me. It allows me to recharge. And I, and I now I find the time to do it. There's, there's no excuses. I, I make the time. Uh, I've been doing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and and boxing for many years now, and and that has been very helpful for me. Uh, It not only provides discipline, but again, it releases stress. It allows me to to start the day with energy. It it definitely helps uh, keep things uh, balanced. Um, And and like you mentioned, I, I, I love going with my girlfriend and my my dog taking walks all around the mountains in Costa Rica, going to the beach. I mean, making that time for, for that, for, for the relationships that you value. Again, this will be different for everyone, but I've, I've, from that moment that I told you that I was on the brink of, of exhaustion and actually having paid the price with, with some of my relationships and all, I realized that uh, that was not what I wanted. Uh, even though I worked very hard, I work a lot of hours every day, Um, I still find time for that, for those, for those, uh, things that I value besides working a lot.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and you know, that's, um, that's, I think a challenge in, in leadership positions a lot, um, is, you know, um, is their time, their personal time, their relationships, um, you know, because it it is a resource balancing, like you said, and, you know, and yes, you're right. It's like a lever, you know, it comes up and down and whatnot, but like foregoing, for extended periods of time, that is also unsustainable. You know, talking about sustainability, right? I'm I'm learning that. Um, you know, just uh, before I joined Fletcher, and in fact, that's why I joined Fletcher is because I was where you were. You know, and even today, I'm still. You know, my husband really helps me with that. My son, who's just graduated university, helps me with that. I mean, they're just like, mom, you've been pedal to the metal for way too long. Like stop that, you know? And uh, I, um, you're right, Fletcher is just a special place, um, special people, because um, you're right, it is a pivotal pivotal time and, and place and space. And um, I feel so uh, grateful for, for that gift, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's also a red, you know, redefinition on education, because sometimes it's also understandably, right, you educate yourself for whatever returns, right. But, you know, um, really, education should be just important, because it is growth, <laughs> period, that in itself is the, is the result, right, that, that in itself is is the, you know, what you're giving yourself. Um, you know, I wanted to make, you know, that, distinction because sometimes, you know, um, there's that question of like, well, is it worth it? Um, and, you know, clearly there's, you know, situations where, yes, you know, that question is critical. I mean, you know, um, you know, the affordability and all that, and which of course, in international development, you want you know, that's, you know, definitely in front of you um, for the people that you, you know, you strive to continue to work for um, is that resource balance. But, you know, once again, it's just a value of, of education in itself. What does it mean? You know, what is it? To, what is the return? Right? I mean,
1: <laughs> and, and education yeah. at the end. I mean, you can have very structured process, like the formal aspects of education, like, um, like a fellowship, like a, graduate program, like executive education, all those things. But it doesn't have to be just that right at the end. Uh, right. You can give yourself an education. Like I said, there, there's a lot of people you can have amazing conversations who are long dead that can definitely transform the way of how you're thinking and and, and, and providing that, that moments to reflect. Uh, again, it doesn't have to be in a very structured way. For a lot of people, it might be doing meditation for a lot of people might be just having time with friends and family that's a thing at the end no one can give you the answers of what that looks like and what is it within your possibilities but um for people who, who are able to um it's definitely a privilege to be able to to take some time and, and evaluate what is it that you that you want to dedicate your life to and that also includes not only finding purpose in your job is also well uh do you want to how, how how does all those other things fit in your, into your, your equation, right? And and it's not, not going to look balanced every time. Sometimes it's going to be messy because that's, that's just life, but, but making sure you understand uh, what is that you're doing, how is that you're dedicating yourself and and making sure that you're living your life according, at least to, to, to what you, you value. Uh, It's, it's, um, we have to proactively look for those Moments to try to define who we are, because society otherwise would just get on a on a wheel that goes just goes so fast, and it, society won't allow you to to, to take a takes take some time and, and reflect. So uh, obviously, going to school, taking a program like that will only not only expand your network and learn more uh, intellectually, but also allow you to to have those conversations that it can shape. Um, and at the end, it just translates into into. Uh, the definition of of who we are as human beings, because we are multidimensional. We value a lot of things. We pursue a lot of things. uh, um, And and then um, I think living a rich life has to do with finding all those areas in which we want to flourish and we want to share and want to uh, connect with others. And, uh, And there are a lot of opportunities to do that on, even on very day-to-day stuff but but it's 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 hard because like i said society is always pushing you to just uh being like the rest and not finding your own voice which is not easy to do
0: so as we kind of close here andy thank you so much for your time do you have any uh closing thoughts for our listeners
1: well no thanks to both of you for for allowing me to, to share some of the ideas and the experience and hearing from you both obviously has been a pleasure for me. Um, more than happy to 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 be on the podcast. I, I, I really believe that more and more um, opportunities for people to, to, to discuss uh, and to share and to connect are needed um, because a lot of people are, we're all struggling. We're all struggling one way or another. So having also, the opportunity to to share some of the challenges you the same with reading book from someone who asked those questions many years ago and found really interesting questions hearing a podcast that might excite you to to start on a new path or to look for more information or to connect with others um and that a lot is is needed and in, in, in spaces like this to have these open conversations uh, in a world where information is now reduced to a couple of characters where there's no depth there's no de- depth there's no connection uh this is really valuable i, I think and, and i appreciate it i appreciate the time and obviously uh, you two for for setting this up and inviting me I, I appreciate it and hope i give you the best of luck on, on your endeavors and uh happy to if you keep doing this for a couple of years and you have so many guests that, that then you can get to repeat some guests i'd be more than happy to oh, come back yeah. <laughs> at some we would
2: love that. Yes. Um, uh, yes, we definitely, um, you know, for Dan and I, it's been such a enlightening, um, experience. We, we're learning so much We're enjoying, um, you know, meeting new people and hearing, you know, themselves awesome. share themselves, like you've shared with us, you know, and it's such a gift and we were so thankful. And, um, Andy, thank you for being such a light and a leader. Um, you definitely um, exhibit that. And, uh, you know, thank you for the, the conversation today. It was very much needed. And I think like what you said, you know, for people running and doing errands and whatnot, just hearing this today um, is definitely going to feed their soul. So thank you for that.
1: Hopefully. No, thank you very much. Uh, again, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Dan, there. Yeah. Best, best of luck, and um, we'll be in contact.
2: Dam dam What you hear in this episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the views of the Fletcher School, Tufts University, participants, employers, if any or any other affiliated groups in association with the individuals in this podcast.